it's been my privilege to serve in ministry. Uh, I think it's now 15 years, which isn't long, but in this time just to see God do so many things, serve in different places, in different capacities, and I, I love what God is doing in his church. You know, so many times we get so caught up in what the news is saying and what's happening in the world that we forget that we're a part of the greatest thing that God has ever done in all of history. I don't know if you know this, but right today, there's an average of over 180,000 people throughout the world that come to Jesus every single day. Every single day. Right now in China, the place that has shut down uh, the public church in many ways, there are now more Christians in China than in the United States. So that means that Jesus can't be kept out of any place. So, so before you get discouraged on what's happening around us and what things look like, remember that we serve a God who isn't dead, who's still alive, who's still moving, whose Holy Spirit is still much at work as he was in the pages of this word. The Holy Spirit is alive. Jesus is alive. And I want to take you to Matthew 21, where we see Jesus enter. It's Palm Sunday, and uh, I want to talk to you about when Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and he came unexpectedly. He came in a way that didn't fit the model of what they thought the king would show up as. Uh, and we do know from the word of God that one day Jesus is coming back and he's coming in glory and in triumph with all the angels and all the saints and all of us who are gathered together with him. He's coming again and he's going to enter that city once more and he's going to come in triumph. And, but see, so many times we expect God to do something big, but we miss him when he does something subtle. And God is as much at work in the unexpected and in the subtle and in the things, you know, God's voice, you know, we were just sharing, I heard a testimony uh, just before service about somebody who uh, had heard God speak to them about a situation in their life, and they said, you know, I almost expected it to be like almost, you know, something different, but it was just so simple and so direct, and I just heard the voice of God speak to me, you know, listen, God wants to talk, God wants to move, God is, is active, but so many times I think we miss him because we're looking for the big stuff. And we miss him in the subtle moments when he just wants to meet with us simply. And Jesus showed up riding on a donkey into the city. Uh, and he was, of course, met. And I want to take you to verse 4. Let's read it together. Uh, my message title today, if you're taking notes, is a pathway for his presence. A pathway for his presence. Verse 4, all this, all the things that happened preceding, was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the full of a donkey. And so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes along the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Let's, uh, that's verse 8. Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you, God, for we don't, we don't want to take this moment lightly as we get into your word, as we celebrate Jesus entering a city 2,000 years ago. But God, we want you to enter our hearts, enter our lives, enter our family, enter our community, our country. God, we, we speak over our households that they don't belong to the devil or to the enemy, to depression, to discouragement, to addiction. They belong to Jesus. We speak over Palmetto, Manatee County, that it doesn't belong to the enemy. It doesn't belong to drug addiction and heroin and any of those things that belongs to Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We invite you to do what only you can do right now. I love this story. Because Jesus comes in and it's very subtle, but he's met with a crowd. And this crowd meets him by doing two very simple things. They take their garments off, 
they take their clothes, the robes off, and they begin to lie them at the feet of Jesus. And I want to talk to you today about creating a pathway, because what they began to do is take their clothes and take these palm branches, and they began to lay some of them down, so that they created a path that as Jesus entered the city, as he's riding upon this donkey, as he's coming into the city of Jerusalem for what is probably one of the most important weeks, not only of his ministry in life, but all of human history. Jesus is about to enter, and what he's about to do in that next week is going to change all of our lives. And that's, that's no exaggeration to say that what Jesus was coming to do was going to affect all of humanity. The Bible calls Jesus the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before Adam ever sinned, before we ever were here, Jesus had a plan. God had a plan. And it was for this very moment when Jesus Christ would come in. And I, I think so many times in our own lives, we overlook, we just go day to day missing the significance. We show up to church thinking, well, I'm just going to do the service. I'm just going to be here. I'm going to, you know, sing three or four songs. You know, I know what time to get my coffee, and I know what time the coffee's run out because somebody brought a big mug, and they filled that up, and there's no coffee left for me. Nobody in here's ever done that. Um, and Because and, I'm usually the last one to get the coffee, and there's, it's not there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no condemnation. Just leave some for the rest of us because I need the coffee. Okay. But, but this and there's sometimes we just show up to church and we don't realize that what we're coming into could be a moment that to us looks like just another service, but it could be a moment that God has planned from all eternity to step into our situation. That God has planned from all eternity to meet us in that moment for us to encounter his presence in a very real and powerful way. I want to give you six very simple keys today that I believe are things that as we implement them, we see modeled in the story, but they're things that help us to create in our own lives a pathway for the presence of God. And when I talk about the presence of God, I don't want to ever take for granted that maybe you just stepped in here and it's your first time even in church. Because the presence of God is not something weird, it's not something different, but it's something that we all need. You know, Moses once said that, God, if we don't have your presence, we don't want your promises to be fulfilled. Like, like I want you, God, more than the stuff because the world's not gonna know we're your people just by you answering the promise. He says the presence of God is the most important thing. And the presence of God, listen, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. That's what the Bible tells us, that there's nowhere you can go where you can outrun him. And I'm glad for that because many times I've tried to outrun God. I've tried to get where God isn't and yet God always pursued me because there's nowhere you can go where he's not there. But while God is everywhere, he's not experienced. The Bible uses the word manifest. He's not experienced everywhere that we go. And I want to experience God. I don't know about you, but I don't want just what religion has to offer. I want to encounter Jesus. Because what changed my life was not just going through motions, going to a program. It was encountering the presence of a risen Savior. It was encountering the very real presence of the Holy Spirit that changed my life forever. I've been ruined for anything less. I just, I, I can't do it. I can't, I, I, there's a thousand things I'd rather do than play religious games. Because I've had one taste of the presence of God. I've experienced God's power in a very real and personal way. And I believe many of you have and many of you will. And the first key I want to give you comes from this part of the story. And it says that they would take their garments and they would lay them down. And, you know, uh, for us, and this actually, I was thinking about how this really hasn't changed. There's some things that don't change. Uh, it's just human nature. Uh, but clothing op- often represented for, in, throughout the Bible, it represented identity. When Jacob was going to tell Joseph and everybody else in the family who his favorite was, he gave him a special coat that he covered with. 
a coat of many colors. When, when, when we see in the Bible, oftentimes like the prodigal, when the prodigal comes back home and he's, he's wearing the tattered garments of his own sin and his own rebellion and his own wasted life where he threw away everything the father had given him, the father calls for his servants to bring a robe to cover him with, a ring to put on his hands and, and, and shoes to put on his feet. In that act, the father was letting him know, this is who you are. You're not the pig pen. You're not the sin. You're not the shame. You're my son. I'm receiving you back to myself. Listen, whenever we come to God, no matter what our history was, the Bible says when we turn to God, when we repent, when we receive his grace, something happens. We're brought from sinners to saints. We're made the righteousness of God in Christ. And he robes us with robes of righteousness, the Bible says. See, what we wear oftentimes, it's no different today because what we wear is what we want to project to the world who we are. We're letting people know. You know, it's always interesting to me when I get around some people that it's like a fashion show and, you know, what they're wearing and who, you know, how their hair and all that. And there's nothing wrong with any of that because we're letting the world know this is who we are. And I think it's much more important to be you than try to be somebody else. Are you with me? But so many times we, we get to a place where we get wrapped up and maybe it's not about your clothes. Maybe it's about your, your title. Maybe it's about your job or your position or how much money you make or what neighborhood you live in. What, what car you drive. Because there's lots of things that we get our identity from. Here's the problem. Whenever we get our identity from those outward things, the moment they're gone, we lose ourselves. I can't tell you, and this is just speaking to the men, how many guys, when they come to a place where they can no longer do the job they were in or the job they worked for or the place that they always went after, but now they're maybe retired or they couldn't because of some kind of injury or some, something, they can't do that job. So many times guys lose themselves. I don't know who I am anymore because I'm not in that job. We, we lose ourselves in relationships so many times when, when we have our relationship with our, even our kids or our marriage, our spouse or, or friendships, and we, we get our identity from this stuff, but the moment it's not gone or even it becomes unhealthy, we lose ourselves. And I love this story because they took the thing that represented their identity. Jenna, could you bring that up? They, they took the thing that represented their identity and they laid it on the ground they took it and they threw it down before Jesus because the first point I want to give you, it's very simple. I've just got one word, one or two word points today. The first one is surrender. The first thing that creates a pathway for the presence of God in all of our lives, and it's very simple, but I found that the further I go with God, the more I know of his word, I never graduate from the essentials. Surrender is the beginning point of everything that God wants to do in my life. It's also the place that when I refuse to surrender is the place where I've set the limit of what God can do in my life. It's the limit where I set, where I say to God, so you see this with Israel, where Israel comes to the promised land and they get to the place where they're about to inherit everything that God said they would inherit. God would give through his power the promised land and answer the heart's cry and the promises given to generations of Israelites and yet because they would not obey the Lord and believe what he said. They turn back. And it's at the place of surrender where many of us find ourselves hung up. It's at the place of surrender. See, if we want to see Jesus come in in a greater way in our lives, we need to begin with that point of surrender. If we want to see so many times we're asking God, we, you know, I, I, as a pastor, you know, I, I have people come to me. I've had over the years people come to me and say, you know, I'm really dealing with this issue or that issue or I'm struggling. And, and listen, there's so many reasons why we struggle, but everything begins with this point. Because if I won't surrender, I've already told God what he won't do. 
if I won't surrender, I'm already shutting myself off to, and I can blame God all day for my problems. This is going to be a fun sermon. I can blame God all day for why things haven't changed, but until I say yes to Jesus, I'm not creating a pathway for God to come to work in me. And I feel like most of what God wants to do is not outside of us. Most of what God wants to do begins inside of us. And it starts with us coming to the place where we take everything, even who we've been. You know, uh, we, we have a culture, and there's, there's something okay with this, but I feel like it's insufficient. We, we have, a, because we've, we've lived with, for I think even generations, this mindset that we have to be carbon copies of each other. We have to compare ourselves to each other. We have to have all these things. That we've come to this place where, you know, a generation saying, you know, be the best you. And I'm all for being the best you. The problem is the Bible tells us that rather than just being the best you, we should take who we are and lose our life. Because he says if you lay you down, you'll really be able to find you. <laughs> because when we make the focus us, here's what happens. We get married and we enter into relationships. And in that relationship, that person isn't completing us like Jerry Maguire told us. That person isn't fulfilling that need. That person isn't, you're not helping me be, be the best me. You know, and we, we have all these issues. We're in a job where our boss isn't always nice to us. Nobody's there to pat us on the back and give us a medal just because we showed up. <laughs> okay. But we have to come to the place where whatever we're carrying, whoever we've been, I've been at that place a couple times in my life where God's told me to lay something down that I had become who I was. And when we get to that place, we get so caught up in these things that we forget that it's all about creating a pathway so that people see Jesus in us. So that people see Jesus in us, and, and uh, I think it's in John 17 in uh, the Message Bible, I think I have it on there, maybe verse 10. But here's what it says. Jesus said, you know, Father, you've received glory from me. I've given it back to you. And then he says, he says of us, his people, he says, I am revealed. My life is shown in them, in the people of God, in the disciples of God. He says, I'm revealing myself in them. And that's so important because here's the thing. We all have platforms, and we should use whatever the platform God has given us for his glory. Your business is a platform. Your job is a platform. Your community, your neighborhood, everywhere you are, all the people you know, God has put those people in your life for you to be light in the dark, in the dark places, salt in the midst of a world that needs Jesus. But so many times we look to the platform as who we are, but the platform can change, but who we are has to stay the same in all seasons. And our purpose, our destiny is to reflect Jesus to the world. If you're to be a business person, make some money, but in the process, reflect Jesus to the world. If you're in ministry, whatever God's called you to do, and raising your kids and your family. You know, I've thought of that a lot recently. Like, I don't want my kids to grow up and not see Jesus in, in their mom and dad. Not just church, not just religion, not just stuff, not just my job, because Jesus didn't die on a cross so I could have a job and be a pastor. I want my kids to see Jesus. I want them to encounter Jesus in my home. I want them to encounter Jesus. And that's the thing. That I want everywhere we go for people to encounter God. Now, let's, let's get back to this. Because, see, sometimes it may not be our identity that we've got to lay down, but it's some other stuff. This is going to get fun for some of us. Um, we have this thing. And the very thing that's pre pre hindering God stepping in in a greater way in our life, we say, God, I want more of you. And then we see how much screen time we've put on that week. 
And God says to us, if you want more of me, you've got to give me more of you. And maybe what we need to lay down is this. Maybe it's not the phone. Maybe it's not that stuff. Maybe it's just the remote. Or it's, it's, the, it's the distraction. It's the pursuit. It's the hobbies. And all may be good things. But listen, whatever is keeping you from having more of Jesus in your life, we can ask God, God, do these things. But so many times God wants to do them, but we haven't made a room. We haven't made space in our lives for him to step in. So the first one is surrender. Oh, here's another one. I put my wallet up here because maybe what we need to surrender is this. I don't like when preachers talk about money. You know, Jesus talked a lot about money, but it wasn't about the money. It was always about this. It doesn't matter if it's your identity, your job, your, your, your title. It doesn't matter if it's your phone. It doesn't matter if it's Instagram, video games. It doesn't matter if it's what people say about you. It doesn't matter if it's the money. Whatever has your heart, God says, lay it down so I can step in. Because I want to create a pathway in my life, in my family, in my home, where God can step in in a greater way. How about you? Number two is vulnerability. Because, see, listen, something happens when you take off the garment. You become exposed. (laughs) And if we want a greater measure of the presence of God, we've got to be willing to be vulnerable, to be transparent, to come to God, not with the mask. But to be willing to say, God, I know you can do heart surgery in me. I know you can do something in me, and I'm going to be real with you. Something I heard years ago from one of my mentors, Avern Tompkins, she said something that stuck with me forever. I've said it probably a hundred times here. But the God who loves you, excuse me, the God who sees you most knows you and loves you best. The God that sees everything inside of you, the God that sees the dark places, the broken places, the hurting places, that God loves you more than anybody ever will. Do Do you realize that? That the God that sees all of the mess, he loves you. He loves you so much that he gave everything for you. And he's not scared of your mess. He's not not moved by your dysfunction. He, He draws close to you and I. But we have to come to a place of vulnerability where we're willing to say, God, I'm willing to have all of... See, here's the thing I think so many times is we worship our dignity more than we worship the God who's come to meet us. And we're so worried about, listen, I believe in having a good name and having integrity, and having a reputation. You know, it's a sad thing to me when I find out there's banks that won't lend to churches and Christians because of a lack of integrity. We should, that should be our testimony, that we are the hardest workers, the best employees, the best bosses. We should have integrity because what happens in here is meant to go out there. But, but listen, sometimes we've got to get to a place where even if we look foolish to the world, We're pursuing Jesus with everything we've got. Vulnerability. We're willing to lay it all down. The branches represent being cut because they they went and they cut the branches off, these palm branches. Palm branches represented throughout Scripture victory. And they represent victory, and that's something we see even in Revelation when, when we see the triumphant saints of God before the Lamb, and they're worshiping God. They're holding palm branches. They're clothed with white linen. They're singing, worthy is the Lamb. They're singing the triumph of the King. But when you look at this, sometimes, that's number three, my third point is separation. See, sometimes we look at separation as a bad thing. And listen, there are bad separations. But sometimes there's things in me that God wants to separate the spirit and the flesh. He wants to separate sometimes my plan from his. He wants to separate relationships that he's put in my life from the ones, listen, 
God sends people in your life, so does the devil. <laughs> and, and, and listen, we, sometimes we look at separation of certain things that happen in our life as a bad thing instead of realizing that it was necessary for your future. I don't understand why this person's not there. They don't like me. They don't love me. And I, we, they weren't a part of your future, and God knew it. And sometimes God knows we can't let go, so he helps us. And sometimes we have to let go. Sometimes we've got to be willing to say to God, I'm going to let go of what's holding me back because I, I, I've been there, I've done that. <laughs> it's not always easy, it's not always fun, but anytime God brings a separation, it's because God never separates you from just for the sake of separating you from. He separates you from so he can separate you for. So he can separate you for something greater. If he says lay this down, it's because he's got something better in his plan than what your plan could come up with on its best day. And separation, you know, the Bible actually describes and talks about us being separated as holy to God. To come apart, to be with Jesus. Surrender, vulnerability, and separation. These things are the key to victory, joy, and freedom. You know, the Bible says, I've shared this before, but uh, it says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we often look at that as, well, when God shows up, there's freedom. But it doesn't say the Spirit of God, where the Spirit of God is, there's freedom, and it uses that term many times. It says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That word's important because where he's Lord, he reigns. Where he's Lord, he determines what's happening. When he's Lord in my life, I don't bring the agenda, he gives me his. When he's Lord, I'm not the one dictating to him what he should do and how he should do it. I surrender and allow him to work in a way that only he can. I heard it said years ago, and I think there's some truth to this, that if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. If I want freedom, and the key to freedom is this, it's when I finally say to God, we think of surrender as defeat, but in the kingdom of God, surrender is the only way to victory. Surrender is the only way to experience freedom. It's the only way to, when I'm vulnerable with God, when I'm real with God, and when I come to the place where I allow him to work in me and, and separate the wheat from the chaff, and he separates the stuff in me that doesn't need to be there any longer. And listen, I, you know, as long as I've been doing this, I'm still having God do stuff in me. I remember years ago, I knew I was in for trouble when I was in a class called Cleansing Stream. I know they had had it years ago here. We had it in Arizona probably 15 years ago when we started ministry. And there was a lady who was a part of one of my ministry teams. She was in her 70s. And she says, you know, I have been a Christian most of my life, and God keeps showing me stuff that needs to change. And I knew that I am in for a long road because there's still God is still working. <laughs> Listen, there's never a point this side of heaven where we go, I'm arrived. I am perfected. You're welcome. You know, like, I, I have reached the destination. You know, take the picture. You know, that's, that's the moment. I wonder if when Jesus showed up in the city, we know the crowd showed up. They laid down the palm branches. They laid down their garments. But I wonder how many people didn't show up when Jesus showed up. I wonder how many people were too busy with whatever they had on the day's agenda. And they missed the presence of the king stepping in. I don't want to be preoccupied with something else when the king's here. Are you with me? I don't want to be pre preoccupied. That's why even in, in, in God's house in church, like this isn't a religious thing, but I, I think it's important for us not to be distracted by stuff. If you've got to sit somewhere else because that person keeps talking to you all the time and, and they're not plugged in, listen, it's not gonna, they're not responsible for your growth. You are. 
I'm not talking about your spouse. If the phone's a distraction because somebody's, you know, sending you messages and you're seeing what's on Instagram, listen, put it away. When we hear the word of God spoken, I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but we get we hear God's word spoken, it should never be something we take lightly. Because these are the words that transform nations, that tore down and built up. These are the words that formed the heavens. These are the words that when God spoke, there was light. When God spoke, he formed you. These are the words that when God spoke, dead people came to life, and this word is still powerful. And so I don't want to just hear the word and go, oh, pastor's just preaching from that scripture again. I can quote it. I heard a a quote. I'm going to steal this quote. Um, There was a pastor this week I heard say, you know, there's pastors who've been in ministry for 20 years, and they talk about how I've been in ministry for 20 years. Listen, he, he, I love what he said. He said, no, you've had one year of ministry you've repeated 20 times. I wonder how many times we've done that attending church. Well, I've been in the church for 25 years. I was here when the carpet was red. I was here when we had different pictures in the front. I was here when we had this. and we, you know, Listen, we can have all that stuff, but we can repeat the same year over and over and miss Jesus when he shows up. Pastor Tad's doing an altar call. People are coming to Christ, but we've got to get to lunch before the Baptists get there. So we're slipping out during the altar call. Listen, I, I'm sorry. I didn't come to Florida because I like the beaches. <laughs> There's a reason I'm here. Listen, when we step back, think of if it was your son or daughter that came and responded to that altar call. How would you pray? How would you pray if it was your husband or wife that you've been praying for for 30 years, finally stepped into church, and that moment they were responding, would you just step out, or would you say, God, move in their life? Listen, we have a prayer team, but you're all the prayer team. The prayer team is all of us engaging and praying like he's gonna move, because he will. Okay. Let's, let's, let's keep moving. Luke 19 says this, verse 37, then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had seen and saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So, so as he, Jesus comes into the city, they begin to worship, they begin to rejoice. The no, number four, the, the, the third one was uh, separation. Number four is praise and worship. Praise and worship, like probably nothing else, creates a pathway in our lives for the presence of God. When, when Israel dedicated the temple, when they dedicated the temple in, in, in Jerusalem, there were 120 priests who began to play the instruments. They began to sing a song, and their song was very simple. It was a song that said, the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. And they began to sing that one verse over and over and over. Some of us were like, okay, after the 10th good, good father, I'm checked out. But they begin to sing, the Lord is good, his mercy endures forever. And as they began to sing that one simple statement, the Bible says that God showed up. The glory of God filled the house of God. So much so that those priests, the 120 priests, could no longer even stand up. The weight of God's glory and presence stepped in the room. When the king shows up, it's something you don't take lightly. I... I, I. When he steps in the room, and listen, this is important because praise and worship invites the presence of God into our situation. Psalm 100 verse 1 says, a psalm of thanksgiving, make a joyful shout to the Lord. 
all you lands. Listen, shouting in church is not a Pentecostal thing. It's a Jesus thing. (laughs) It's a God thing. Well, that's just not who I am. I'm just very reserved. It's not my personality. It's not my temperament. Well, maybe it's time to lay that coat down. I'm not saying you got to be like everybody else, but you know, I, I keep hearing, I've probably even said it, you know, at church, if you feel comfortable, lift your hands. If you feel comfortable, listen, the last time God consulted my comfort level was never. But if I want the king, if I want Jesus, I'm not worried about what the person next to me is going to say. And let me tell you a story real quick. Okay, let, let's, let's turn your Bibles. Um, where's in my notes? Uh, 2 Samuel 6. 2 Samuel 6, verse 14. Uh, This is generations before Jesus steps into the city of Jerusalem. The presence of God in another season came in through the ark. And David has now conquered the city of Jerusalem, driven out the enemy. But it's not enough to stop doing the wrong thing. It's not enough to remove the enemy, break the bondage, stop the addiction. It's you have to not just get darkness out. You've got to bring light in. And, and David knew that it wasn't enough for Jerusalem, a city that had been occupied for five centuries. It's one of the only cities Israel didn't conquer in Joshua's time. For five centuries, the enemy had it. They drove them out, and David knew it's time for the ark, the presence of God, to step into the city. And he built a special place, a tent, and he called for the ark. Well, the first time he called for it, it didn't go so well. Because they put on a cart to be pulled by animals. And as they're, as they're pulling it, God never commanded for, for a structure built by man to carry his presence. I'm all for programs. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm all for that. But listen, God doesn't bless programs. He blesses people. His power isn't through a structure we build for him. It's through the people he anoints. And that's all of you and me. So, so, so the, the ark starts to shake and starts to fall. And one of the guys, Uzzah, Touches the ark. I mean, wish you had the name Uzzah. Nobody in here. Okay. So Uzzah touches the ark and drops dead. I think he was on his phone when they told him, don't touch the ark. He missed that instruction. That's why you got to pay attention. I missed that part of the, okay. So David doesn't know what to do. So he takes the ark and sticks it in the guy's house. And after several months, he notices this guy starts getting blessed because once the presence of God was the main focus in this guy's house, everything this guy had was blessed. Somebody, we could learn from that. If we make the presence of God central, the presence of God isn't limited to an altar here or to the worship stage or to our seats. It's not limited to this building because God doesn't just go with stuff. His presence isn't just in a building or a cart because David looked up in the word. What does the word say? Oh, the priesthood should carry the ark. And so the priest took the ark on the poles on their shoulder, and they carried the presence of God with them into the city because God is looking for his presence to not go through just stuff, but through you. The priest isn't the person with the microphone. The priest is you. You're a priest and a king unto God, a royal priesthood, the Bible says, and you and I are carriers of the presence of God. What would our job be like if we knew we were carrying the presence of the Holy Spirit with us everywhere we went? What would the needs before us look like if we realized that the same God who raised the dead, the same God who opened blind eyes, the same God who who changed every situation he stepped into, that God is with us? Okay, let's go back to David because here's what happens. He invites in the presence and it says this in verse 14, David danced before the Lord with all his might and David was wearing a linen ephod. 
uh, think of long johns. Okay. So David and all of his house, of his, all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. You know, it was loud in church that day too. Okay. Verse 16. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, this is David's wife, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David, and she said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David, and I love this story, I love this story. I think I probably shared this story in here before, but I just love this story, because this story comes from David's experience. See, it's one thing for us to tell you to lift your hands, but when you've encountered God, nobody has to tell you. It's one thing to tell you to worship, but when you've encountered what Jesus can do, when you know what he saved you from, sometimes, church, we've been in this so long, we've forgotten what he saved us from. We think we've always been our holy selves. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes we just need to, remind, we need to remember how good he's been. Because if we know what he's done and how good he's been, you won't have to have somebody tell you. Because he goes to his wife, and she says, man, you've made a fool of yourself today. You should be wearing the king's robes while well, he laid those down. You should be wearing the king's crown while well, he laid that down. You should, be, you should be looking important and significant, and you should keep a presence, and you should keep your dignity. You should keep all this stuff. You know, there's something about humility. There's a reason why the word humiliation and humility are so similar. Because sometimes we need to just be willing to humiliate ourselves for God. Because we're so worried about what people think. God, God, God's leading me to pray for somebody outside of these four walls of the church. We can pray like fire in here, but we can't pray for one person on our job. What are they going to think? You know, it's easy when it's a church and everybody expects to be prayed for. Now, you don't have to be weird and shandalasiki and, you know, tell them this says the Lord. But just pray for them. Because the same God that moved in you here is the same God that will move out there. In fact, I've found to be true that sometimes it's easier to see him move out there than in here. We'll talk about why in a second. So, so, but, but here's what happens. David says to her, he says, listen, you don't understand. I'm going to get even more undignified than this. Why? Because he says, listen, you don't understand. When, when your dad was trying to kill me and I was all by myself, the Lord delivered me. He was with me. When everybody overlooked me in my own family and it was just me taking care of some sheep and a lion was there and a bear was there, God was with me. When I just wrote psalms and began to sing to the Lord and I just began to worship and there was nobody around, nobody around to see how good I was singing and how good my voice was and what kind of instruments I was using and any of that stuff, he says, when it was just me and God in his presence, I realized that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When he was in that place, when it was just him and God, he's like, listen, you don't understand, McCall. Remember when we were, when, before we even got married, before we even dated? Listen, do you remember when there was a Goliath and everybody in Israel was afraid to face him, but I knew that God would be with me? And he says, you come with a, a sword and a javelin, but I come in the name of the Lord. He says, in that moment, God was with me, and we killed the giant. So you'll excuse me, honey, if I don't stop looking ridiculous, if I don't stop worshiping, if I don't stop praising, because my worship never had anything to do with how I looked. 
My worship had nothing to do with what people were gonna think of me because they weren't there when Saul was trying to kill me. They weren't there when nobody else was. They weren't there. God was there. And the only one whose opinion I care about, the only one who I'm celebrating in this moment is a king that was faithful. He was in the, he was in the cave. He was in the, the place with Goliath. He was there on the battlefield. That God is the one that I'm worshiping, and it doesn't matter how I look because, honey, I don't care. That's my paraphrase. I inserted some of that, but I want you to see what he says to her. So David said, it was before the Lord who chose me. <laughs> he gets a little personal. Instead of your daddy. Instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. He says, therefore, therefore, I will play music before the Lord. I will be even more undignified than this. I will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you've spoken, by them I'll be held in honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, here's what I want you to see. Had no children to the day of her death. And while that's describing her having natural children with David, you know, obviously there was an intimacy problem now. But something happens when we stop becoming worshipers and we become professional Christians. We become big in our own eyes and forget it was him that was there when we called out, when we were at our most broken place and we just needed Jesus. And he saved us. And we're worried what people are going to think about us. We're worried what people are going to say about us. We're worried about any of that stuff. And it keeps us from really being who God has created us to be, doing what God has called us to do. God says, go pray for them. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. What are they going to say? What are they going to think? It has nothing to do with what they think because the God that saved you is the God who's with you now. Come on, church. Something happens when we're willing to praise, when we're willing to worship. The Bible says in Psalm 100 that we enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Bible says that we, he is enthroned on the praises of his people. You know, I found this to be true. There's been seasons of my life where it's been hard to pray because I've been under like some kind of heaviness, oppression, even spiritual warfare. I, I, I came into a ministry environment one time where I had, uh, I, I took over a church and a staff and like my whole staff was plotting <laughs> some stuff. Uh, and, and it just, it was, I'm dealing with all this. And while I'm dealing with this, I just feel this weight because, you know, even as Christians, we don't realize that our words carry authority, even if we're not using it properly. Do you know the accuser of the brethren no longer has access to the throne? Why? Because he was cast down like lightning from heaven. But I think he still finds access to the throne as the accuser because he finds brethren to accuse through. You, you miss that. He, he finds brethren to accuse through. Every time we're picking apart each other as believers. Every time we think we know something and we're critiquing and we're criticizing and we're judging and we're tearing down and we're forming all these opinions and we're gossiping and talking about each other, we're just giving our authority, our voice to empower a devil that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Most revivals in church history were not stopped by the devil, they were stopped by the church. Not even really the church, the religious. Because I want you to see what happens. What, keep going on. But I, I, Well, actually, I don't want to forget this. Um, we don't want to be like McCall because here's what happens. A life without worship and praise is a life without presence, a life without wor- intimacy, and a life without fruitfulness. If you want to be fruitful, here's what you do. You get to the place where you live and worship. See, my prayer list changed when I started following Jesus. It used to be a list. It used to be me coming to God like he was Santa Claus. God, here's my 50 things I need you to do. And the problem with that prayer, there's nothing wrong with that, especially just to come to God. We should go to God with our needs. The problem is the prayer ended the moment my list was done. 
I don't know. I mean, isn't it true? Like a lot of times we struggle. I don't know how I'm supposed to pray because I can't, I've run out of things to talk about. I had a couple of my church years ago that said, I don't understand how you pray like you do. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, and, and some of it had to do with their background and the way they believed, you know, God worked. And, and I said, well, you know, why don't you pray for needs? And they're like, well, we don't have any needs. Okay, we'll find somebody that does. I can show you some people. <laughs> I got some needs. Like, here, pray for me. Anyway, you know, it, it's like, but, but here's the thing. We do get self-centered. We get focused, but we miss, you know, now most of my prayer time is worship. Most of my prayer time is ministering to him. And then out of that, God begins to show me things to pray for, pray in the spirit, things like that. Okay, I want you to see this. Um, Verse 10, Matthew 21, verse 10 says this. I'm almost done. When he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, and they said, who is this? The multitude says, this is Jesus. Listen, something happens. You know, we have a billboard in Palmetto that says God's presence changes everything. That's not a slogan. That's the truth. That's what we believe, and that's what we've experienced. God's presence does change everything in our lives. And what God's presence does is it evokes a response. Now, as we prepare to wrap up, there's two things that, there's two responses we can have to the presence of God. The first one is worship. The second is what happens with the Pharisees, because the Pharisees go on and they say to Jesus, they say, listen, you got to tell your disciples to be quiet. They're, wor- they're, they're celebrating, they're singing, Hosanna, son of David, have mercy on us. They're singing out worship to you. Tell them to be silent. They're just like McCall. Saul's daughter, who were saying, you need to stop this. It's a little getting out of hand. You're getting a little charismaniac right now. I got family members that think I'm crazy. It's okay. Seriously, I got, they love Jesus. They follow God. They go to church, and they think I am nuts because I lay hands on people and speak in tongues. But the thing that they've seen in me is that what I have is real, and the more they've been exposed to it, the more they become open to it because they prejudged it. And so many times, listen, the presence of God evokes a response every time. The presence of God evokes a response in you and in me because the Pharisees were not like the worshipers. The Pharisees tried to stop and to shut it down. They tried to get in the way of it. They tried to hinder what God was trying to do. And I, I love this, but see, here's the, here's the good news. Uh, John 12, could you put this up on the screen? John 12, 19. The Pharisees eventually realized this. I want you to see this. The Pharisees therefore said to themselves, see, we're accomplishing nothing. The world has gone after him. See, there's something that religion can't stop. If you and I will continue to allow a space, continue to invite Jesus to be Lord over everything, to be at the center of Church on the Rock, to be at the center of Palmetto, Florida, to be at the center of our homes. Uh, Listen, God wants to move in the nations, but he wants to start with you and me in our homes. He really does. We can go to the nations, we can send money to evangelists, we can do all that stuff, but miss what God wants to do in our own families. Our children can go to hell while we're trying to reach the world. And the thing that's going to draw them is not what we told them. It's the Jesus in us. It's the presence of God lived out in front of our kids that's going to change things. It's Jesus at the center of your marriage that's going to change your family. It's going to change your relationships. Not because two Christians got married together. That's not equally yoked. Did you know that? Being equally yoked is not just a Christian and a non-Christian. Or it's two people, you know, you can be married to a Christian and not be equally yoked. How? Jesus won't be at the center. Are you with me? Just because we attend a church, just because we are believers in one sense, but if we don't apply and take the word of God and have Jesus at the center and invite his presence to fill our home, if that doesn't happen, nothing will change. Okay, I gotta gotta stop. Uh, Last two points, 
Number five is honor. I already talked about this, but I, I want us to, to honor the presence of God. I want us to recognize there's something that happened as Jesus goes on. I'll just summarize it for you. Jesus goes up to the temple in Jerusalem, and he cleans house. Like, most of us know Jesus as gentle Jesus, meek and mild. <laughs> are, are you with me? Like, we know the lamb, but we forget sometimes he is the lion too. And Jesus shows up, and he sees the money changers, and he sees all the people peddling the word of God. He sees people taking advantage of worshipers. And you know what Jesus does. He puts his arm around them and encourages them and tells them to be the best you. No, he makes a whip and beats the tar out of these guys. That's still Jesus. <laughs> and then he flips their tables over, the ones that they had nicely sorted and organized. And he says, you've turned the house of prayer, my father's house of prayer, into a den of thieves. He says, you've twisted this. You've... So what does Jesus do? He rearranges everything. Because something happens when we invite Jesus to really be Lord of us, to really give him everything. He comes in and he starts rearranging the furniture. <laughs> and the Pharisees got mad because they kept getting mad. They're like, listen, what, what are you doing? You can't do this. But see, Jesus, from that point, once he cleaned house, he started teaching the word. And the needy and the broken and the hurting and the sinners and the, 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 the bound started coming because there was no room for them before. But the moment Jesus was lifted up, he drew all men to himself. He started drawing. The presence of Jesus changed everything. If you'll allow God to rearrange the furniture in here, he'll start doing some things outside. He'll start working in your family. He'll start working in your marriage. He'll start working with your kids. Okay, I'm, I want you to see this. But we've got to honor. I mean, really, like this is something. I don't want to take, see, that, that what the problem was, these guys had lost a reverence for the presence of God. If you go back in history, the temple was a place where God's presence was so strong that the priest would, if he entered the presence with the wrong heart, he could drop dead. And I'm not, like, I don't want to mischaracterize God anyway, but you have to understand, sometimes we only get half the picture. When the church goes, comes along and Peter's preaching, he's just taking an offering. Like, I get to do the offering every Sunday. I've never seen an offering like this. Peter takes an offering. A couple named Ananias and Sapphira come up. Hello. They come up and they're like, here, we have something impressive. We're giving everything we have, but they're actually holding some back. It's, it's not, listen, your giving has nothing to do with what others think of you. It's all about, are you obeying what God said? But they're trying to impress people, and so Ananias drops dead during the church offering. Man, what would offering be like if that, no, okay. <laughs> he wasn't there to say the dedication. Like, he just dropped. It was over. And, and, and listen, this is what but, but the presence of God, and, and you know what it actually says right after that happened? It says, none dared join them lightly. They feared the Lord. People continue to get saved, but nobody just did it because it was popular. Do you know why the church is growing right now in China faster than it is in the United States? Because people aren't joining just out of convenience or popularity or what other people are doing because their mom and dad said so. They risk their entire life when they say yes to Jesus. So when we lay everything down, when we lay our garments, it creates a pathway for Jesus to come in. Last point, uh, worship team, if you could come up. And this is, this is to sum it up, is encounter. Number six is encounter. Number five is, is honor, honor the presence of God. This is the last one. Verse 14, Matthew 21, 14 says, Then 
after he cleaned the temple out, after he had, his, these people had worshiped, all these things, it says, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. See, the presence of Jesus isn't meant to just be talked about. It's meant to be encountered. The presence of God isn't just meant to be talked about, theorized about, philosophized about. It's meant to be encountered. This stuff is real. It's been real in my life. It'll be real in your life. If you'll just create a space and if you'll just surrender, if you'll just say, God, I want you to move in me. I want you to do whatever you want to do. And that's not something you just do in a moment. I'm going to invite you down in a moment. But it's not just what you do here. It's what you do every day. Because surrender isn't something that I did 19, at 19 years old when I surrendered my life to God. It was. But it's something I've had to do almost every day since. It's something I've had to do. Because listen, the same crowd that waved the palm branches and laid their garments down was the same crowd that a week later, a week later, shouted crucify him. Same people. Same crowd. See, we never should lose our awareness of the presence of God. We should keep our focus where it needs to be, but we should not just sing a song. We should draw near. The Bible says draw near to God. He draws near to you. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet in a moment. Go ahead and stand to your feet now. Stand to your feet. And I want us to do something. There's a couple things I want to pray for today couple things that God showed me he wants to do, but I, I just want wherever you're at, whatever your need is, whatever, wherever your walk is with God, that you would just say, I'm ready to respond to Jesus. Because his presence evokes a response. And my response is either going to be to lay everything down in worship, or it's going to be to criticize, to critique. Well, the temperature wasn't very good in the sanctuary today or the music was too loud, or this, you know, my, somebody sat in my seat today. If I leave church and those are the only things I came away with, I missed Jesus. I missed the presence of God. I missed what God wanted to do. Are, are you with me? But if I'm willing to honor the presence of God and I'm willing to say, God, I want to meet you, everything can change. I'm asked, would you lower the lights down for a moment? I just want you to lift your hands to God, wherever you're at. Father, I thank you today that you are the same, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the same God who healed is the same God who heals, the same God who loved us, the same God who still loves us. You still set captives free. You still move in our lives. And God, we don't want to take your presence for granted. We don't want to be like the Pharisees or David's wife that, that just become spectators while other people step in and encounter God. Lord, we want ourselves to meet you. We want our families to be changed. I want my children to be changed. I want my, my family, my marriage. I want everything that's a part of my life to encounter your presence. I want this city to be better because Church on the Rock and your people are here because your presence through us is here. Jesus, if you're in here and you need to create a space for God, we're gonna sing this song, Hosanna. Can we do that? Where's, Yeah. Let's sing out what these people were singing in the city of Jerusalem, Hosanna, and invite the king to come. And as we sing this, I want to invite you down to the front. I want you to come step forward. If you say, you know what, today I need to meet Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with God and you today would like to begin one, he's a God who forgives all of our sin, heals all our disease, sets us free, transforms our life. But you've got to be willing to say yes to him. You've got to be willing to put your faith in him. 
If today you just say, you know what, I need to rededicate my life to God. This can be your moment right now. But I want to speak to every believer in this room. If you say, you know what, my life has been dry. My walk with God has been dry. And I need God to meet me right where I'm at. I want to invite you down to the front because I believe God wants to meet us. He wants to fill us. He wants to encounter us today. Draw near to God. If you have a need in your body, if you have a need in your life, come down. We want to pray with you. Let's go ahead and sing this together. Let's lift him up. Jesus. somebody being healed of fibromyalgia I don't know what your symptoms would be with that but if you want to come down if you're at a place today where you just need to come to a point of surrender where you just know that God's been speaking to you and you just need to lay it all down that's that's the key right there I 
want, I want you to meet me here. I want to pray with you. Because God always meets us at the point of surrender. It doesn't have to be over what we would consider the big stuff. It's just simply obeying, obeying God at whatever he said to do that we've just resisted, we've held back at some point. I want to pray. I'm going to turn it over in a second. But I just want to pray with one thing. If you've been in a place where you've been in like a waiting season and you've just felt like almost overlooked, put on a shelf, forgotten, or you've just been in a season where it's just been dry, I want to pray for you. I had a couple days ago, God showed me this picture. I've never had anything like this, but God showed me a vision of a, of a file folder. And it, it was very detailed. It says on the file folder was written, the wasted years. And I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say, I don't have one of these. And so I said, well, what is that? What do you have? And then he changed the words on there to coming forth as gold. And I want to speak over you that have been in a waiting season, that in the places that you feel have been wasted years, there's things that you've had promises that have not seen them happen, and you felt like the time has been wasted. There's no such thing as a wasted season when you're following Jesus. There's no such thing as a wasted moment with God. He's as much in the movement as in the waiting. And I believe that what he said to Job, that's what that phrase is, is from Job. When Job says, I can't see you. Am I right? Am I left, God? I don't know where you are, but when you're working, God, I know that when I'm tested, I will come forth as gold. And I believe that in this season, God is going to be drawing some things out of you. In the waiting, you're transformed. In the waiting, you're changed. Let him do it today.